This week's episode of Worst Ever Podcast is brought to you by Chatbooks. As a mom, I'm always terrified of losing my photos. I think all you moms out there can relate. I mean, I recently accidentally dropped someone's phone and there was like a 30 minute window there where I didn't know if we were going to be friends again because of all the photos she might have lost. Thank God we recovered them. So Chatbooks is awesome for me because it literally creates your own book like from your Instagram, from your camera roll, from your Facebook, whatever it is, it automatically creates these photo books for you. You can have multiple photo sources in one book and multiple people adding photos to your book. Every 60 photos you post or choose are then just automatically printed and they just send you the book. Like you don't have to do anything. It's amazing. You get 60 pages in a book for only $8. I mean, there are more pictures of my child in my phone. I can't even, I need to get them off and I need to get them into a book for posterity just for my sanity alone. So go to chatbooks.com and you can get your first series book free with promo code WORST. That's right. Free. I love free shit. Who doesn't love free shit? Oh, and speaking of free, when you sign up, it's free shipping in the U.S. I mean, come on. Chatbooks.com, promo code WORST. Welcome to Worst Ever Podcast. Welcome to Worst Ever Podcast. I am your host. I am your host. Christine Lakin. Ala Khaled. Khaled. Khaled Khaled. How do you say that name? Well, it depends. It's either sometimes it's Khaled, sometimes it's Khaled, sometimes Khaled. Because for years, I was always like Allah Khaled. Allah Khaled. Allah well, it's Khaled. Allah. It's Allah. Okay. Allah Khaled. And then, but then, but then your brother says it Khaled, but it can be either is what you're saying. Well, it's Khaled Khaled. That's his name. No, I know that. Yeah. But it wouldn't be Khaled Khaled. That's weird. I think weird. it's because of Allah and Khaled, it's hard to say, so I say Alak Khaled. I see. It just so depends you're on the one mood. who's changing but, it. Uh, it's, yeah. Tomato, but, tomato. But it's really Khaled. Khaled. Yeah, like you're catching some phlegm. Khaled. Is that right? Khaled. 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 Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now that I've spit all over Stephen Ray Morris's microphones, welcome to the podcast. Uh... Before we get into our first guest, I just wanted to do a little shout out to some of our fans. It's amazing that we have some, and thanks so much if you are a fan. That we have some? Is that what you Yeah, I think it's amazing, and I really appreciate when people listen, subscribe, and certainly write us and tell us what they like and don't like about the podcast. If you want me to have a, you know... Perhaps a new co-host, if you want to say anything oh, F off. about you know some of um, the way that Allah interjects and how annoying it is, I welcome those comments. Um, but this one in particular comes from Christina. Uh, I'm just going to name her by first name. She says, keep up the good work. Hi, Christine and Allah. I wanted to let you know I really enjoy your podcast. There isn't one pod. Yes, because that's how the kids say it. When I thought, well, that one was the worst ever. Love the puns. All of your guests are fun, and I wanted to let you know to keep up the good work. Just another fan, Christina. P.S. I love how Georgia makes her appearance on the pod. Ha ha. Thank you so much, Christina, because I love those little moments, too, even though some people want to call CPS and, and just kick her out of the room. Anyway. You've noticed I haven't commented. Yeah. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we have a very funny actress She's a friend of mine. Her name is Carly Gibson. She's amazing. She's amazing. Carly Gibson, you would know if you were a theater file. She was Tracy Turnblatt in the first national tour of Hairspray. 
and then ended up on Broadway. She also was in the musical Cry Baby, which was a fast in, fast out for those Lasted of you. Lasted like two months. Um, but she's going to talk about some of her ups and downs in the business. and Her highs and lows. Her highs and lows, if you no will. No pun intended. Uh, no, puns intended, I think, actually, on that well. one. Well... She and I met doing Scream, a musical parody at Rockwell here in Los Angeles. She's super funny. She's very talented. And she has two huge shows coming out. One you must see is coming out in August. It's Greg Garcia's new show on TBS called The Guest Book. And then the next one is the second season of One Mississippi, which is going to be on Amazon in September. She's having a huge year. Anyway, I'm very happy for her, and she's a delight and has some really awesome, insightful stuff. So enjoy. It was enough time with her, I feel. I will. We're going to have to do a, we're gonna have to do a recap with her. Yeah. We need to have her back, for sure. Oh, and if you have anyone you want us to have back, let us know, and we'll see if, you know, they're available. Okay. <laughs> enjoy. The worst moments of our life. Hey, girl. Hey, that's bad. Uh, so speaking of, like, worst ever experiences. That is the worst ever. I don't feel so good. And that was my worst audition ever. How bad can I be? <laughs> and we feel the pain is best or funny. All right, so we're with Carly Gibson, and we went through her credits, which are insane. Oh, It's for real. And Christine is on her way back from a meeting. She's a bitch. <laughs> uh, she's going to call in, and then she'll dive in when she gets here, which will be any minute now, because she'll make an entrance, of course. <laughs> All right, so I'm just slowly, on, uh, while we were waiting for Christine, I was slowly getting to know Carly a little bit on a personal level, and I want to talk about, let's just start with your career, like how it started, because you're one of those statistics where you're like, how the fuck did that work out? You know what I mean? <laughs> but we were discussing about age, because yeah. you started so young, yeah. and, and, and you being fearless in a sense of like, I'm going to make it. Yeah. And it worked in your benefit. Now, had there been a Schwab's here, it, you know, where <laughs> we're, you know, where it's not yeah. one of those moments, but it's like it's sort of fascinating your your mental state on how you came about doing what you're doing now. So let's start from the beginning and high school. Yeah, I mean, um, I got involved, you know, uh, to be honest with you, musical theater was never really my jam. Um, I was about six years old, and my parents were super into rock and roll music. They were big hippies. And they brought me to this festival called Parties in the Park. And I saw this cover band playing, and they had this lead singer, this badass chick. And I and she was singing, like, you know, Ario Speedwagon and Meatloaf and all these things, and she was killing it. And I was, and I, I had this, like, catharsis at six years old, standing in this park being like, that's what I want to do. I loved rock and roll. I wanted to. But unfortunately, you know, there wasn't a lot of openings for a lead singer, a six-year-old, to be the lead singer of a rock band <laughs> in my hometown. So I naturally fell into theater. That's sort of where the outlet um, led me to. And so I started, and I loved it. I, I will always have a soft place in my heart uh, for musical theater, or soft place just on my body, known as my asshole. Um, is it soft? Musical, I think yes. I, I think I think it's getting softer. Oh, nice. Um, as time goes on, it's age age is funny like that. Um, uh, certainly not as tight as it once was. But then again, you know, my twenties it was a it was a rough. Well, time. we're gonna get into that. Um, <laughs> it's also known as the period of time where I didn't love myself. Um, but no, so. 
So I, I really got into theater and then I started working professionally when I was like 15. I got hired to play Little Red and Into the Woods in this uh, the civic production and like a town away from Where me. are you, by the way? In Michigan. Okay. We're in Michigan. And so uh, Central Park Players was Grand Havens Theater. Shout out to Central Park Players. Probably debunked. I don't even know. Um, but I got hired to do that and it was super rad. Like I was like, yeah, this is totally what I want to do. And so I... Uh, the following summer, I got hired uh, through Cherry County Playhouse was our regional theater company uh, in Muskegon, Michigan, and they were huge. They were one of the biggest regional theater houses that is now gone. They've gone under, but um, they were doing this really cool show called Crash Nation, and it was essentially like... Uh, it was for it was uh, like a rock opera and it was eight kids it was four boys and four girls and they had to be teenagers and there was a massive call for it in the paper and it was uh, this New York writer Bill Castellino and Christopher McGovern and Bill Whitefield who uh, Christopher McGovern had created the Lizzie Borden musical oh wow and, okay yeah um, and they were coming in they had this new work it was called Crash Nation it was basically like Rent meets Stomp meets Schoolhouse Rock but we dealt with like real things so in this town it was like uh, we dealt with coming out and we dealt with the Columbine murders, which were big at the time. And we dealt with abortion and um, having sex for the first time and bullying and not fitting in and all this stuff. And this is like 2001. Oh, wow. And so it was pretty it was pretty irreverent. And it was the world premiere of it. And so it was a big deal. And during that time, this uh, agent, Brad Adams, who was Bill Castellino, the director and creator's agent, had flown in from New York to see the show because they were going to move it to New York. And so he had come in to see it. And I remember. I'll never forget that night because, you know, of course, we're all backstage and we're like, there's a New York agent here. And like everybody was like running around. I mean, it was the most ridiculous. No, it was but very I Guffman. feel that. Yeah. Like it was very Guffman. You know, it was like, yeah. we might be going to Broadway. <laughs> um, we were we were all just too excited because um, in your mind, especially at that age, that's how you think that that happens. And you're somebody 15. Somebody just sees you. Right. Yeah. Somebody just sees you. And then all of a sudden you're. And you're probably you're star. starring in the in the production. Right. Right. So. In small town America. Oh so you're like the big fish in the, yeah. Of course, right? So it was this big thing. So I met him afterwards. It was very, I mean, he was like, we had this uh, restaurant underneath the theater called the City Cafe, and he was at this big round table in the back. He was like way in the corner, and they were like, uh, Mr. Adams would like to meet you. And so I was like, all nervous. And I had an eyebrow ring and like cornrows, because that was a thing at the time. I promise that was a thing at the time. Um, and so I like walked over and I was like, hello, Mr. Adams. And I shook his hand. And he was like in this suit and whatever. And he was like, great performance, whatever. And that was it. And he didn't change my life. And he didn't buy me a plane ticket to go to New York. And I was devastated. And I was like, fuck this. Fuck this place. <laughs> and so I was like, now I got to go back to my stupid school with the stupid people. And like, I was so mad. And then halfway through my senior year, I'd gotten this. My mom uh, came to the school. I was in I was in sixth hour. I had independent study with my choir teacher, which basically meant I did nothing. And so she came in and she was like crying. And I had instantly had like a bunch of family members die that year, just oh, like no. randomly. Yeah. So she showed up and she's like crying. I'm like, fuck who died now? And she's so hysterical. And so she comes in and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, Broadway called. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and we were so naive that like in my mind, there was like a corporation, right? Where it was like Broadway Inc., and, and they were there was just like people there on phones and like that's how it worked like the all of Broadway just called you on the phone and I was like what are you talking about well she had gotten a call from Brett Adams and uh, they were Hairspray at the time was in Seattle 
doing their out of town before they came in and he was like look there's this new show coming out it's really hot we think that she's perfect for it would she be able to come in and audition so we called him back and I was like yeah I'll be there whatever we have to do and uh, he was like okay we'll sit tight we'll let you know what's up so I went back to the school and I was like you guys have no idea what you're dealing with now I was like I got a call from Broadway and I'm going and I okay. mean we just had no idea but hold on a second so the do the other cast members from the show know that they he, they specifically called you um, well, this was the phone call happened about six months after. So some of us were, some of us from the show were at the same school. Some of us weren't. We were all still friends. But yes, at that time, I mean, I told everybody like I was so excited. But were they bitchy back? No, no, they were I don't. I think everybody was. It was really weird. I think everybody. We were all just really confused. I don't think I was conveying it very well because also I didn't know what was happening. So. Um, so I, you know, I told everybody and then we didn't hear anything for like two months. So then of course everybody was like, she made it up. She never got a phone call. She is not going to Broadway. And I was like, no, you're ruining my life. <laughs> so I was like hounding this agency on a daily basis. Like I had their personal number and would call from my house phone and be like, can I talk to Brett Adams? Which later on realized like you never just call and ask for the man who owns the company. You have a representative, an agent that's assigned to you. Right. But I was like 16 at the time. So I was like calling and asking to speak directly to Brett Adams. And he was lovely and he would get on the phone and he was like, Carly, you know, they're they're in the workshops. We don't know what's happening with the show. We're going to keep you posted. I was like, okay, but like, here's the deal. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to finish high school or go to college. So like, I need to know if this is going to happen. And he's like, again, can't really give you a lot. You haven't even been in for it yet. Don't know if they'd even cast you. I was like, okay, well, I'll just deal with this on my own. So I flipped a coin and I, I was kind of flunking out of school as it was already and um, not kind of you don't kind of I, I was like pretty much not okay. gonna graduate <laughs> okay and uh Let's i had a lot of absences. yeah no i was they were like it's not gonna happen you're gonna have to you're gonna have to go to adult ed and i was like not on your life so not that i have anything against adult Listen. ed but in my hometown the people that went to adult ed were like it just call it just go ahead and call it like it's over so um <laughs> so i I decided that I was just going to go to New York. I'd always wanted to go to New York. It was my dream. And so I, I sort of threw a, fa a fake graduation party and told everyone that I was graduating early. And then I took that money and I moved to New York City with it. And it was funny because, hi. Christine Lake had just arrived. <laughs> everyone hold. I've been listening. <laughs> oh. One ear, bud. Oh. Hi, girl. Hi. Okay, I'm here. Christine Lakin is here. Hi, She's guys. A bitch. Sorry. All right. So wait a minute. You fake. You fake. You're flunking out of school. You yeah, fake okay. a graduation party. I surely did. It's like so, like for family members. No, for like every well, for everyone, like family, everyone. So like so, your mom's a part of this fake graduation party. Yeah, kind of. Well, what I had sort of promised is that I would take these correspondence classes and that I would get my diploma later. And the school sort of agreed to this. They were like, if you can finish these correspondence classes by, I think the cutoff was like July 24th or something, then we'll we'll still honor your thing. But like, I knew I was going to New York. I was like, I'm not. Doing these courses. How old are you? Uh, I had not turned. I was seventeen. I had not turned eighteen yet. Wow. So I was like, I'm, uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Correspondence classes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I made like twenty five hundred dollars at my at my graduation party, and I was like, that's it. I'm out. And my mom was like, oh, and she like begged me. She was like, just finish school. And I was like, I don't need it. I'm not doing math. 
I don't need math and science and stuff. I'm a singer. Yeah. I was like, I know how to balance a checkbook. I feel like I'm good to go. So, um, so yeah. So I moved to New York and. Okay, wait. Oh, so you now, are 17. She's 17. Like, so I'm, yeah. peace out. I'm yeah. going to New York by Okay, myself. so wait. I want to hear about this process because, A, you got to find a place to live. I had a friend. So one of the guys, his name is Leonard Sullivan. He's actually here in town right now doing uh, Mormon at the Pantages. Oh. Shout out to Leonard. Shout out to Leonard. <laughs> I had Mormon. met him that summer that we did Crash Nation together and he was five years older than I was. He had already moved to New York. So I was like, hey, girl, hey, coming to live with you. He was like, I live in a shoebox. I was like, great, sounds great. So I was like, I don't care. I was like, as long as the zip code is somewhere in New York City, I don't care. So he housed me, and it was lovely, and we um, we lived there and ate fried rice. He was, like, working for catering at the time, and we had no money, and he would come home and bring home those tiny little bottles of booze, and we would get ham, like, just fully ham sandwiched oh my on those tiny bottles of booze. And the crazy thing about that was, so then I lived there um, from, like, August of 2002 to... Um, April of 2003. And in that time, I had 10 auditions over six months for Hairspray. Like, they vetted the shit out of me. And I oh, think, my God. It's like a Royal Mally situation. Oh, it's insane. And I think because I was young and they were like, what the fuck? They wanted to make sure like that wasn't a fluke and I could do it and whatever. So by the time I did end up booking it that following spring, um, I was so happy, obviously, but also in, out of money. And I couldn't work. Because I wasn't old enough to work, oh and I couldn't God. do anything, so I That's just sat trying, in the I'm apartment. I'm trying to figure out how your mom and dad. My mom trusted Leonard, and completely. I mean, she just listened. She knew me. She knew that this was what I was going to do, and there was no talking me out of it. Like so great. So See, that's important because you yeah. have to have that like support. Yes. Yeah. Because especially to right. go. Like I, I explained to you, like I moved to New York about 17, yeah. 18. I just graduated high school, and I told my dad I. I he took me on my first trip to New York, and I was like, "You just made the biggest mistake of your life." Yeah, I'm. Um, this is where I'm going to live. On the other side, and though, your dad cried and basically my, told my dad you, cried like when he, that yeah. you were going to live in the streets. Yeah, well, pretty much. But <laughs> at that time, it was a totally different time than when you're living there because Broadway at that point is it's sort of it's starting to th- it's reve- it's yeah. rejuvenating. I think because I had this audition and because I was getting traction mm-hmm. with the callbacks and because she knew Leonard and she trusted him and she knew that she raised me right. I think that there was a I mean don't get me wrong there were, you know my mom watched a lot of Law and Order so she was like ah, Christ. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was like her big thing. But I think that she because she had children really young and I, she had no regrets about it but that was always her big thing. She was like you can get married and have children whenever you want true but go see the world figure out who you are yeah. do the things you need to do for you before so that when yeah. you do decide to do that if you decide to do that you're not you're ready to be a real mom totally you're ready for it you yeah. know what i mean you're not begrudgingly doing it so i think that was part of her like look i wish you would do things a different way but lord knows i can't tell you to do shit um because you're a fucking nightmare and so you know, you got to go. And she was an incredible support system to me. And I always knew that if worse came to worse, I had a safe place to fall. Sure. Absolutely. Sure. So, you could always go home. And that's <laughs> the age to do it, really, yeah. because... You're fearless. You're fearless. Yeah, and that's, that's the topic of, for Carly. Yeah. You got to be smart and fearless. Like, right. you can't be a dum-dum and just... Because well, you there's get two ways. some really scary situations. Well, there's situations. naive and there's fearless, right? right. right. And, and, yeah. and at that age, you know, we were talking about this outside. It's like... As you get older, you you become fearful because you experience disappointment. You experience loss. You experience mm-hmm. the, the other shoe dropping and the bottom falling out. And so 
it, it, it teaches you to become a little hardened and untrusting and, and doubtful jaded. and jaded. Absolutely. And so you don't stick your hand out as easily. And I think the only reason I was able to thrive in that experience in the way that I did is because I had this idea that like, well, I'll just work out. Everything will work out. Right. You know what I mean? Like I didn't know any better. And even and it, even so, like as the process went on, I was never afraid. You know, I they they cast me as the lead in this $11 million production. And people always ask me, like, were you fucking scared? And I was like, I wasn't because I couldn't fathom it at the time. Now to take on a responsibility like that, you really, you know, in a 360 way, you you know yeah. what you're doing. But I but, didn't. But you said you had like 10 auditions that yeah. where they were vetting you into the whole hairspray Because you system. were new, too. You yeah. weren't yeah. in. You hadn't grown no. up on Broadway no. you, as a and child. You knew, like, and your stage experience was... Michigan, cool. yeah, and, you know, <laughs> right. So totally different ball game. Yeah, my resume read like right. Adelaide and Guys and Dolls, right? Like, so like <laughs> my high school community theater just players. Go, go for me. The go to the audition process. Like what? What were you singing for them? Like what were they? All get, hairspray stuff. All hairspray. At the time, the show had just opened, so um, so all the material was available. And I started off really early. I sang for Mark and Scott. I sang for Jack and Jerry. Uh, for Bernie Telsey. For the producers. Um, Adam Epstein and Margot Lyon like I started going in for them right away and then they started putting us through a little bit of boot camp like we were doing crazy dance calls and um, scene work and all that kind of stuff and pretty and by the end of it I had performed almost the entire fucking show for them because they, we had just done so much material and it was funny because as each audition would happen like we started off there's probably like 30 girls and as time went by the very end of it there were four of us we knew by the very end of it that us, the four of us, were going to go somewhere because Marissa was leaving New York and they were replacing the understudy that was current, I can't remember her name, but who was currently understudying Marissa and that they were doing a tour and they'd need an understudy. So we knew they needed four girls and there was four of us. There was myself, Kayla Settle, uh, Shannon Durig, and Kathy Breyer. So we all kind of knew we were going somewhere. We just didn't know how we were getting placed. And Kathy was filming One Life to Live at the time, so they put her in New York and then uh, Shannon became her understudy and then they, they put me out on the first national and Keala became my understudy. So that was really excited. I was excited to originate the tour because they had all of the, the uh, original production team, uh, choreographers and directors and, and writers come in and reset the tour and do it. And it was, it was like creating the show again because, you know, they got a chance to, um, they got a chance to really, do all of the things that they, you know, it's like having a second child, right? Like you, you, you know, all the things that you did with the first one that you're like, you know, they, so we got to create some really special stuff. So that was really fun. How long were you on tour with them? I was on tour for six months and, and crazily enough. So when I found out that I got it in April, we opened the tour in the fall of 2003 on my mom's birthday in Baltimore, which was cool. Wow. And Right. So once I found out, I booked it. I was like, cool, I'm going home because I'm out of money. And we didn't start rehearsals for like three months. And it was the same year that all of my friends were coming home for college from college for the summer. The ones so that graduated. Part, yes, the ones that actually graduated. <laughs> so we partied our asses off. And then I got a phone call from Leonard, 
who I had stayed with, who was like, you're not going to believe this, but I just found out that I booked the tour. So we went on <gasps> tour together. What? You're fucking crazy. No, we who met, did he play? He played Thad and understudied oh. um, Seaweed. That's awesome. And they, it was just the most seren- serendipical thing ever. Like it was, it was so insane. So then we went on, and then of course my mom was like, oh, she felt so good because. Leonard was with you. Yeah. Leonard was with me on the tour. So and it was all That's happening. Crazy. The way. Isn't that That's insane? Amazing. But you're, you, you sort of like, I don't know, maybe you're, you're futurizing. Maybe you have like this gift. I don't know. Right. Because you said before you left Michigan, it's going to work out. I'm going to get this job. You know what it is, though? Here, here's, here's what I'll say. And I tell this to a lot of people, especially now. Like, I mean, and this may be something we talk about. I had this huge gap in my career. So I had this, I had these great Broadway experiences and I did some shows. And then I, I had this sort of lull. And then I had just very recently this like revamp as I've been like, you know. I, I call them waves. Yeah. I say like a career absolutely. is like riding the waves. Yeah, absolutely. there's always going to be a crest and always going to be a fallout from it and here's the thing for me the fallout was very intentional it's something i needed i lost myself during that time like especially during hairspray i made a lot of mistakes i bought into my own brand oh we want to hear about it and i partied too much i got into drugs i was missing shows like i was a fucking nightmare serious i was really rebellious yeah i was and i Listen, you think because of your age and you were like, this came so easy. I don't I'm good. You know what it was? I didn't have a foundation in who I was. Right. Like uh-huh. I wasn't I wasn't a person yet. I was still kind of a kid. And none of that's an excuse, but it's just a reality of my situation. And I became oddly rebellious against it because once and this is another reason I realized that musical theater wasn't for me. There is a mindset you have to have. And I call it the hamster on the wheel. I love a rehearsal process. I love Same. creating. Yes. And then 100%. once the show is set, it's like, well, fuck, we just do this every single day for a year. And it just didn't, it didn't stimulate me enough. And so I became complacent. Oh yeah. And I, a little bit like bored. I have, yeah, I have this mentality. I tell my boyfriend this all the time. Cause I'm like, I need the door to stay open. If you put me in a room, I could stay in that room for 16 hours, right? As long as I choose to stay there. But as soon as you shut the door and say, you have to stay here for 16 hours, I think of nothing but leaving. I don't know why, but it has to be my choice. The door has to stay open. And for me, it was a door shut situation. I felt trapped. I felt beholden to it. I felt like I didn't have control of my life anymore. Instead of taking the mindset, which most people would be like, why weren't you grateful? You had job security. You had a dream role. I don't know. I can't answer that. You can't answer that A and B. Also, it's a lot of pressure because you are the star of the show. The show is based on... Almost the whole thing. Yeah, it's your show pretty much. She's on stage all of but 15 minutes. Right. So it's a lot of pressure. it's a long show, And it's almost... I mean, at your age... Not coming from that world and sort of just like falling into it. And I don't want to say because you worked hard to be there. Right. But like falling into it. At, yeah. At that, it's, it's a big deal to, at 17, 18 years old to like be cast and especially a tour, which is exhausting in itself. Well, right. that's what I was going to say. Like if you were in New York just doing this, I think it would be tough. But you'd have all of New York and you would have, a you know, a set group of friends you saw all the time. And when you're on tour, it's very isolating. No? Oh, yeah. Like you're in a hotel room. Oh and yeah. I mean, and I was young, so I couldn't and... do anything, right? I couldn't go out and party right. with people. Would go out for the show. Like I was by myself a lot, and right. it was. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still found ways to party. Shout out to Rochester, New York, and that gay bar that used to let me in there all the time with the drag queens. But um, <laughs> you're like, we're staying. We're ex- have an extension in Rochester. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. We're staying here. Um, so it was, you know, it, but the rebellion really didn't hit until I got to New York, which was interesting. I really loved the tour, and I think because Leonard was there, those people became my family, and I felt. But when I 
and I say this like again people are going to be like oh poor you but I did sort of get ripped off the tour early I was supposed to do it for a year and I got ripped off six months in to go to New York I felt very displaced and New York was not the warmest of 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 places to go because you had a group of people some had been there for a really long time they weren't really interested in like the, who the new like girl who was like excited to be there who they'd heard buzz about they just they were punching cu- clocks you know what I mean time oh, clocks gotcha. like that's just sort of it was their job and whatever and I was like hey guys are we all gonna be best friends and they were like girl I can't with you girl, right have, now wow like I'm yeah I'm they're like yeah. I have hot yoga at 415 and like I just can't with so you I have a you child get, you like get, you get pulled off the tour because the lead in on Broadway is uh, who's that at the time uh, that was Kathy, Kathy. Breyer she she's leaving Right. Yep. She was well. I think they fired. Listen, not my not my business, but I I think they or they didn't renew her contract for whatever their own reasons were, and so therefore they were in need of someone to go. So when they pulled me off the tour, and Harvey was leaving. Okay. And so they decided to, which this was unprecedented at the time. They decided because they brought in Michael McKeon to play um, Edna and myself to play Tracy. So they re-reviewed the show. So they oh. completely. Went in and and like cleaned up the show, and then they reinvited the press to come in, and that's how I got my New York review, like my oh, first cool. New York that's review. So cool. Where do you move to when you come back? They put me up in an apartment at 55th and 9th Avenue. That's nice. Which is yeah, which is really cool. I was called the hairspray apartment, and um, and so I lived there, and I was like three blocks from the theater. And, and you're making money now. Like, you're making more money than the tour, obviously. Yeah, I was making good money. Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'll say what it was. This is, you can't make this kind of money on Broadway anymore unless you're Jake Gyllenhaal. But I, at the time, was making like six grand a week. Wow, that's good. And they were paying for my apartment. That's high. So, I, yeah, that's really high. Um, in fact, when I did Crybaby, like three years later, I was a, still a principal role, and I think I made like 24. Yeah. The money just wasn't there. Right. So, um, you have to you have to be the lead in the show and work up to that. I have a friend that was on Broadway yeah. for many years, did all the tours, literally played a role for ten years. Yeah, and I think with all the renegotiations after ten years, probably worked up to something like well, that. Well, but also. It's different for celebrities too that come in. and, well, of and Obviously, yes. they make a because of the yeah, ticket Glenn sales. Is making and like forty grand a week, right. but she's fucking Glenn Close. Right. Like, when she she should get forty grand a week. To play oh, say plus. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. But okay. So wait a minute. So so now you're you're in New York. You're on. You're in the middle of you know fifty fifth and ninth. You said or, or yep fifty fifth and ninth Avenue. So you're in the middle of Hell's Kitchen. Yep. You're starring on Broadway. And a hit show as is, the lead. As a lead, you're getting Buku. It's weird to hear you say it like this. Well, you're, getting, <laughs> you're getting Buku money, and then things sort of start spiraling. And I was the unhappiest I'd ever been in my whole life, and okay. I didn't know why. I started, you were like happier with Leonard eating fried rice and getting yes, drunk on mini bottles. Yeah, right. that's exactly true. Like you, you seem like you would be like ecstatic to be on a cruise ship tour. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it'd be like, so much fun. This is my life, you know? Yeah. But this, like, people, like, dream about. Right. Die for. Die to do this, right? And, like, this is an iconic role because it was such a hit, you know? I mean, make no mistake, it is, it's the best most cathartic time in my life and I will always be grateful to play that role. There were only four girls to ever play Tracy on Broadway. That's so by the really time that well it closed. Put. That's and wow. Crazy. So to be in that to be in that company is an incredible honor to 
you know, especially when you hear people, um, and I'm sure you've you've had this too, like when they tell you what that show means to them, what 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 that role means to them, yeah. what you know what I mean? That's what you do it for, you know. It, listen, there was a lot. It was just a weird dichotomy of what was going on in my personal life and, and not knowing who I was and not having sort of a discipline and a, a sense of self-awareness and, and all of that. So, like, I put myself in therapy and and started the process. But, you know, it was opening Pandora's box. And listen, on the other side of that, I because I was doing all these things and had these opportunities, I had like a plethora of whatever I wanted available to me any club I wanted to go to any fucking drug I wanted any anything the car service would take you there I mean there were parties non-stop and you're there like was, 18 yeah and there was you know right you're, there's celebrities at the show you know what I mean so it's just like you kind of had this carte blanche to do whatever yeah. and that like we were having this conversation about New Orleans I cannot be in a place like New Orleans even if I'm gonna be 33 even at, at the age of fucking 33 I cannot be in a place where somebody doesn't say it's time to go home, right? Right. Like right. you have to like I still can't do that for myself now. Eventually when I left, um I left three weeks before my contract was up because uh they I had a, a rupture and they were like, If you continue singing, you'll never sing again. So of the potential of throwing this opportunity away, I felt like I had let so many people down. I felt ashamed. People were running their mouths left and right. People were like, She got fired. I was like, I didn't get fired. I mean, I was on the oh. chat boards like trying to defend my own fucking oh, honor. No, like it was that, bad. You're yeah. that girl. It was mm-hmm. bad. You know what I mean? I'm not yep. that girl now, but I sure was then. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a dark time. And again, like I said, the biggest problem for me during that time was I, I tell people this all the time. I bought into my own brand. Sure. Right. I bought into this idea of everyone being like, you're fabulous. You're, you're going to be a star. You're going to be, you know, all this kind of shit. And you, if you don't have a, a genuine touchstone sense of who you are, and I did with my mom, but I was a nightmare. No one could, t- if you were going to tell me, no, you had no place in my life. I right. 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 I didn't want to hear it. I wasn't going to hear it from anybody. And it was... You have to, like, really grab your own balls with your own hands and say to yourself... You're out of fucking control. You're out of control. Yeah. Because people will spiral around you, and I think even more so Mm -hmm. in Hollywood. I don't know the New York York scene as well. But when when you're hot and you're the the most popular girl at the lunch table... No one's going to tell you Everyone wants to tell you how great you Uh, are. Then all of a sudden that job ends, and it's like the claws come out. That was the darkest point. I mean, I really found out who my real friends were after that. People I thought were my genuine friends were not. But But yeah, it was it was it was really um, it was really rough. And that for me, I think having to admit to my mom, sure, where you were, that this was happening because she was so removed from it. You know, she was working and not in New York, and having to really say to someone out loud, especially in the mirror of the eyes of my hero, which was my mom, who had believed in me and given me. You know, we grew up so poor. She sacrificed everything for me to have. She worked three jobs. Wow. She picked blueberries one summer, you know, so that I could go to theater camp. You know what I mean? Like, we had nothing. And I felt like, what a slap in the face to all of her sacrifice to end up mm. like this. And I knew I was better than that. You know, so we talk, this is sort of where I was going with, we talked about that, that feeling of like, oh, it's all going to work out. For me... I've always had this feeling ever since I was a little kid. I knew I was going to do this. Not I knew I was special. Not I knew I was going to be famous. I knew that this is what I was going to do. There isn't anything else that I do. So there just isn't another option. There is no or bust. That's right? how we like, feel. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it is that. So for that's, me. That's why I always tell kids that want to get into the business. Yeah. I go, 
listen. If, if you, you can think of anything else, else that you, you want do that, to do, you you're do passionate it. about, or that you're good at, yeah. Or if you do think that. you're going to just be a star and that's how it works, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work but that way. If you feel like there is nothing else I can do, this mm-hmm. is what I can. This is this is it for me. Then you're that one person out of the fifty here that should go pursue it and see what happens. Because you yeah. need, it doesn't mean it's going to be a guarantee, but it just means that there's a. It's there's about an the inertia behind the, right. that passion right. that will right. keep you going through the lulls. Absolutely. After the crest. you have to love it because it will not love you. No, I no. always tell kids, and the other flip side of that is, if you're not talented, learn math. <laughs> and I mean that you know in what, the kindest way, but it, you have to be honest with yourself sometimes. You do. At the very end of the day, everyone needs a goddamn accountant. Everyone does. Do you ever. know, my accountant is like the most, he's such a nice guy, but he is so brutally freaking honest yeah. because he knows that it doesn't matter. Everyone needs his services come, you know, March, Yeah, he's April. not trying to be your friend. He no. doesn't care about hurting your feelings. Uh-uh. And no. he's lovely, but he'll say things to you like, oh, wow, you're building a new house? Well, that will be some capital gains. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. listen, wah, wah, yeah. really? Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, Give just have a, like, a positive side of something here. No. So you go oh, home and you, had, and you had this moment with your mom. And was she, she was there for you. She was understanding through this. Yeah, and, you know, in a mother's intuition kind of way, she probably all saw it coming. How old are you, by the way? I had not turned 21 yet. I was 20. Okay. So in a lot of ways, I think she saw the demise happening only in the way that you can't expect necessarily. You can't see somebody on a path that I was on and think this will end well. And so I think that she she did have the foresight, but she knew me well enough to know I had to come to that conclusion on my own. I had to. It's the only way I do anything. Most people, when it comes to that kind of lifestyle, they got to figure it out themselves. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, I also come from a breed of people that don't do therapy. They self-medicate. Right. I think a lot of us have that sort of come. It's a it's a it's also a generational thing. You know, people weren't people weren't trying to deal with their past issues. It was like toughen up, you know, just fucking get through it and like, you know, go have a drink and shut your mouth. So sort of combating that old school way of thinking I think sometimes my dad thinks I'm so touchy feely and like new aged in a weird way and I'm like no dude I'm not I'm just I think I'm just trying to be honest with myself about who I am and what my weaknesses are and what my strengths are and where where I'm at my most successful I was scared of everything right which sort of helped me in New York yeah you know, it, I was just scared. I was like, well, like you're not. You also have a background. Like you, you're not even supposed to be drinking, right? No. Basically, right. so you're already like yeah. probably feeling like there's one. The is, you're pushing it. The guilt. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, but I took I took that time, and then I stayed in Michigan for like a year, and um, you know, I there was a, just a lot of things that went on. There was just a lot of disappointments, a lot of learning lessons. But essentially, what happened is I came out of that, and then. Decided that I was ready to go back to New York. I was ready to show my face again, and that's when Crybaby came about. And I had oh, been working on that for so long. This had gone on Broadway because I was telling you off. Not a lot of people the did. Pod it's great. It was, I, I was I infatuated with the movie. I yeah. loved the movie with Johnny yes. Depp, and my favorite person on the movie was Hatchet Face. Yeah. Do they have a Hatchet Face? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We were tr- so John Waters was just as much a part of this as he was Hairspray, um, in the making of the musical. It was. It was a really interesting experience for me because it was the first time I created a character but it was also when I realized 
that I was not going to be a lifer in musical theater. I got a chance mm. to really look at the process for what it was and saw sort of the demise of our show happening as it was happening and realized that a lot of it had to do with bullshit. Um, you know, when we started taking out cuss words from the show because we had we couldn't sell to christian school groups and we had like brief nudity and then we had to like kind of dim that down because then we couldn't get this the you know what year is this by the way 2008 um so there was so this is this is during the time of Broadway this where is Disney, Disney's, Disney's taken over Broadway yes. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. This is pre-Book of Mormon. This yeah. is pre- I Knowing mean, that things with cuss words and crazy songs could actually sell tickets. Right, exactly. Right. To those big groups. But, you know, and then this is also at the beginning of the recession. Right. So a lot of things happened and it was, it was, uh, there was some... You know, just bullshit going on behind the scenes, and and when you are creating something with a group of people and you love it so very much, and you see the potential, and then you see them make a decision that you're like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and it's hard because you're on this boat and yeah. you're watching the holes get punctured in it, and there's nothing you can do, and it's nobody's one fault. I think everybody had the best of intentions. Nobody was intentionally trying to sink the ship. That everyone put a shit ton of money in it, right? So no one's doing it on purpose, but. And just so the audience knows, it's a process when it you're when you're starting yes. a new show on Broadway. It yeah. doesn't start. It's not like oh, let's let's do broad, let's do a show and then it's going to go to Broadway. It's a the what? fastest. The fastest I've seen one go is maybe from inception to opening night is like five years. Yeah, that's fast tracked. That's, that's fast tracked. It's a pro- it doesn't because you have to understand that directors choreographers are booked on other shows right. and so they have to yeah. work around. Their schedule, so they're and like, then, okay, I can do this. We'll do it in La Jolla, and then I can do this in a year. And doing readings, you know? and then you you're doing out of town, and you have to, yeah. you know what I mean, and yeah. casting, and you have to get the right people to come yeah. to La Jolla to right. see it, to invest, right. to bring right. it to Broadway. The heavy it hitters, it is a fucking and, process. It wow. is. So when you when you're working on something for that long, and we did, we loved it. You know, the cast will always have. We were open for two months. From the day we opened to the day we closed, we got nominated for four Tony Awards. We got nominated for Best Book, Best or- uh, best uh, uh, Music, Best Choreography, and Best Musical. And we didn't win anything. We should have won Best Choreography. Um, yeah, the choreography was uh, Rob Ashford choreographed this insane number, the prison jailbreak, where yeah, they I tapped with license plates yep. on their feet. That was awesome. And That's it was, awesome. That was the awesome. most unreal thing oh, ever. YouTube and that. we lost it in the Heights. Which was a great show, but, but not a not choreography. Not for choreography. I mean, I'm sorry, Lin Manuel. You are. I live for you and everything that you do. Well, he didn't choreograph it, but I'm like, no, 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 no. But see, but it's political. The way the Tony Awards work is that the show that they think is going to tour and make the money is the show that wins the awards because that's where they're putting money back into. It's like the can thing. It's like you. So you get the you know the accolade on your poster that mm-hmm. says it's a it's a winner at can yep. con whatever you want to say. It's right. a winner at Sundance. It's a winner at Slamdance. You got to have the accolade to get huh. people because it's a saturated market right, right. so you come you come into you know los angeles which has never seen crybaby before right. and you're hoping that you can say tony award winning exactly 
Exactly. It doesn't matter what it is. Lighting design. Or they're going to say it's, no, it's exactly. And they don't award say winner. they don't say best lighting. Right. right. No, no, no. You know what I mean? But no, you're absolutely no. right. They don't they do. say Tony nominated ushers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or there should be. Or the bullshit which is happening now. And this is another reason I decided to get out of that game and sort of. I just listen. I'll always be grateful for it. I'll, there will never be a time that I won't turn the Tony Awards on and cry. Right. I just love it so much. I do. But it wasn't for me. And then this weird thing started to happen where the money started to go. Okay. And like I said, there was like a half price drop in, in pay that, you know, a uh, pay cut that I saw just in the three years. In pay cut for the cast? No, I mean for like, so I went into Crybaby with a, with a lead under my belt on my resume yeah. and having like set a, a quote, standard basically. of a quote right. of right. and made about half that. No. Yeah. And so I started thinking, first of all, and I will always say this. Musical theater in this realm of our industry, in the entertainment industry, is the hardest work you will ever do. When TV and film people bitch about their jobs being hard, I'm like, shut the fuck up. It is, it is not very, hard. I agree. You, theater is physically and vocally and emotionally and mentally. You have no life. You do eight shows a week. You get one day off a week. Right. You get two weeks off a year. Agreed. And But I will say this. Totally two different beasts. Two completely different beasts, Two absolutely. Different beasts. But, like, but I would never theater say, is for the workhorse. Right, agreed. Right. I, 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 that's why, the marathon that's why when yes, celebrities. Yes, yes. That's why when celebrities go into a Broadway show, yeah, like, they don't last project. long. They have no, I no mean, they can, do, they can do t- a month, two months. That's and it. that's it. Everything. Because yeah, everything that a, that a Broadway person has trained for their whole life, it's the vocal training, it's right. the dance training, it's the fit. But it's what all people the also don't stuff. realize is you have no life when you're doing a Broadway no. show. There is no, you can't get on the phone and talk afterwards. Like you can't, well, I, it's so boring. You, like, have you to go can't home. go out and have a drink with your friends. You have to just like be a nun. So that's the beginning of the end for you being like, well, it was that and realizing that like, you're is that the last show you did on Broadway? On Broadway, yes. I did another show off Broadway. So then I started. Um, I started producing concerts. I did. Uh, I did a show called uh, that I wrote and starred in um, about my life. So what happened was it was called "Not a Bitch, Not Yet a Woman." Yes, I stole it from Britney Spears. Um, and what As happened? You was, should listen. <laughs> not ashamed. And basically, what happened is so many people had run their mouth about my, the, my experience with hairspray and what really happened and all those years and whatever. So I was like, "Fuck it." I'm going to tell the truth. You want to tell your story. I'm going to tell my story. Good for and you. And I'm going to make you pay to come listen to it. So you did. You created this own show. Yeah, you want to so tell your story. That, where are you doing this? Like a, where, uh, at Joe's Pub. And it was like okay. the Great. anti. It was like the anti cabaret because we did all rock and roll music. By the so way, here we go full circle. We did worst ever at Joe's we Pub. Did. I love the Joe's Pub. This we was before the, the remodel. Oh, okay. This is like old school Joe's Pub. And I, I was like, so full circle. I was like, we're doing this with a full band, and we're doing rock and roll songs. And so awesome. We did like Cher and Aerosmith and. I mean, we ran the gamut. You um, sound like you're spending a lot of money. I'm just curious. No, your... I spent no money. I got it all financed. You did? Because I'm like... I am I What I walked away with after Hairspray, not to mention, okay, so there was just like a lot of shit going on in my life. I was sending a lot of money home. My parents split when I was like four, right? And so my dad went through some really tough times and I was sending a lot of money home. And it was just... People were hitting me up left and right. It was like a thing. But... What I walked away with, this is another huge life lesson, versus what I made is really sad. Like, I think I walked away after two years of making that kind of money with like $35,000. Wow. In the bank. So, (laughs) and you know, so it was, it was tough, but I lived off that for quite some time and then did cry baby and made a little money there. And then 
Um, I made, I survived in New York for so long after that while I, I was producing concert series and doing that kind of stuff. But I would sing at gay bars. This is back in a time oh, where you yeah, could make yeah, $600 yeah. a night singing at Splash or the Ritz or whatever. People were paying a couple hundred bucks at a time. You could host something right. for like 300 bucks. So I was doing And this four, bitch can sing. I was doing I know, four or five to, of those I, a I, night. I'm so oh, sorry shit, that I, have, I don't know your work. We're going like, to YouTube. Oh, we'll put up some videos of this, yeah. of her singing. So, I mean, I was I was kind of hustling and making my money that way. Plus, I was living off of unemployment. So between that and these like side gigs, I was pay- getting paid under the table and these concerts and stuff, which were selling really well, I was doing fine. Like I was I was making it and I was happy. I was really happy because I yeah. felt like I was doing something. So then I started writing. So you're so, uh, real quick. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You're going backwards because what you're doing now in your life right. is what you were supposed to do right. at 17. Right. The struggle, right. now you're doing the buildup right. of your right. career. But weirdly right. enough, so much happier. Right. Yeah. But no, but what I'm saying is she's right. experiencing in reverse yes. what most, yes. what yes. most right. people do. It's right. fascinating to me because... But it's perfect, I think, because uh, I feel like sometimes in a career, you have to learn a strange lesson early on because right. you don't know what's ahead, which we'll get to in a minute. Right, Yeah. No, really? it's, it's so you true. Know? It's just, no, I did. I'm just I like... noticing. I'm like, okay, now she's doing the th- the work, the oh, yeah. theater, well, the, wait, the it gets, music. It gets it gets more hustly. So I do that, and then I started. I've been working on this show called Fat Camp, which is as funny as it sounds. It's a musical. <gasps> wait, was that a Kristen Hangy thing? Uh, no, it was a Kelly Devine. <laughs> Kelly, Kelly Devine. Devine. Thank you. We yeah. love Kelly. Kelly. Kelly, shout out. Oh, I love Kelly. So Kel- Kelly's one of my favorite humans on yeah, the sorry, face of the sorry. planet. Um, we just oh, yelled thing. into the microphones oh, and Steven like, oh, is like and blowing our exploded. fucking ears out. Sorry. Oh. One more time, but it whispers. One, two, three. Kelly Devine. Um, and um, so I've been working on that for a really long time. And then what happened, so we were going to move to Broadway. You know, that good old musical coming to Broadway in the fall. Everyone's been cast in the musical coming to Broadway in the fall. Of course. I'm, cur- um, I'm curious real quick. Sorry, side note. I wonder if Kelly choreographed Fat Camp like she did for Annie Rexick. <laughs> What do you oh, mean? Hilarious. Like because of Annie Rexic, she probably stole a lot of those moves. From Annie Rexic? Yeah, Annie Rexic was beautifully choreographed. Well, I, I thought so too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> you go never ahead. saw Annie Rexic, did you? No, I didn't. Oh, it was honey. the the tale, the retelling of Annie, but all the orphans were bulimic. <laughs> and, but except for Annie, yeah. who was so Annie Rexic. Annie Rexic and the bulimic orphans. That's amazing. I played um, the Daddy Warbucks character. Yes. But I was um, Olivia Horbucks. Sure. And she so was a, was a power lesbian. Yeah, yeah, of course you were. Of course, Shoulder as you pants. do. I mean, yeah. of course. Yeah. I typecast again, guys. Great. Uh, there, I have this theory that you can only know a hundred things and you can only know a hundred people. And then it's like that game where you put the quarter in and it pushes them off the edge. Like, once I meet a new person, somebody got shoved off the edge of the... <laughs> See, it's weird because I call it I'm my like, friend basket. I yeah, that's know. your... Yeah. I say it's my friend basket and my friend basket's full. When someone yeah. drops, when I drop one off, I can add you to yeah. the friend basket. You're so annoying. Mine doesn't, see, I don't have as much choice in it. It's like I you, make a choice. You're making like mental choice. Like I can. I'm just like, oh, right. fuck. Uh, Somebody's like, hi, I'm Tom. I'm like, I lost someone. I, I, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it was. Oh, there goes Fred. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Gone. I totally interrupted. Like, no, no. So, so Fat Camp. Yeah. Okay. So while I was doing Fat Camp is when I my mom got sick. She got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Mm. And I... I dropped everything and I and I left the show and I left New York and I went home to Michigan to be with her to help her through treatment and the goal was like well the plan you know I always have a plan I'm a fucking control freak plan was we're gonna run meds she's gonna get better and then I'm gonna go back to New York well two years later 
that's not what the plan was. She died. Oh, and I'm I had sorry. stayed in Michigan the whole time and I had stepped away from my career and I hadn't done anything. And I cashed in my 401k so that I could stay. And I was working at a hair salon that was and mm. working the tanning booths for one of my best friends who owned this hair salon and to try and make money just to help pay for i mean things were just rough this was only this was like three years ago and you had siblings Shit. yes i had an older brother and he was helping too but my mom didn't have insurance and so it was just it was rough it was rough I'm and sorry and it was so she passed in october like a total oh fucking God. bitch and just abandoned me in my time of need and um no she was she's amazing she put up an incredible fight and um and fuck, cancer just sucks, you yeah, know? Man. Yeah, I'm a and, survivor, by the way. Yeah, well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, it just, you know, it sucks. It's, it, it, it's, I'm, it's just it ravaged sucks. so many fucking people. Did you spiral from that? No, I didn't. Actually, it was in the strongest place of my life. I was terrified that I would. I thought, she's been my best friend forever. We were inseparable. Um, I was so grateful to have been able to be there with her to the very, very end. We got to say goodbye up to the very last wow. moment. Um, I laid in the bed with her. We were right there while it happened. And it was it's one of the most beautiful, cathartic things that's ever happened. And I was terrified that I would completely spiral. But I didn't. I was the strongest I'd ever been in my life because I was. I, it gave me a perspective on life, not in the way we're like, oh, life's so short and whatever. It made me realize my whole life I've been afraid of things. I've been afraid mm. of death. I've been afraid of, 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 of these things that I created. And, I, and I, I've always been afraid of death. And then I saw it right in front of my face. I watched the love of my life take her last breath. And I thought to myself, that is real. That is the only thing that is real. And everything else, like if that's what it is, if, and there were no trumpets, there was nothing, there was nothing cathartic or special or amazing about it. It was just death. And I thought, if that's what it is, if this whole thing that we do in life, if that's what it comes down to, then this is a joke. Then, then yes, it, 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 then I can walk into these situations, these heightened situations, auditions or whatever or these screen tests or whatever it may be and yes it's scary but at the end of the day i'm like you're not real this isn't real so you got your fearless yeah. back right you got wow. your fearless back right and it was like it was just like i felt like fuck i got it. goosebumps by the way like, i do just, too just like fuck it like i just wow. didn't have anything to lose so i paid my i paid off my mom's car and I bought, so I bought uh, with her life insurance money. So I had a little bit of seed money and I moved out here and I knew one person. I, I had a few friends that lived out here, but only one person I really knew well. And I was like, I'm, I don't want to go back to New York. I'm done with that. It's time for me to just like go for this and see what this life's going to be out here. It felt like the right time to come to California. And I had a manager and I had an agent at the time. And so I came out here and incidentally, like I came out here February of, two, she died in October of 2013. I moved her February 1st of 2014. And then I did Scream that following oh fall. And that's where we met. And that's where we met. By that's, the way, how huh. did that happen? Because... I was so I know Jake Wilson and I was doing um, Los Feliz 9027. He hit me up to be a part of this web series and we were filming an episode at the Rockwell and Kate Zach is who I've known from New York days. She used to work at the duplex when I was 18 and doing hairspray. I used to go in there and drink and party. Wow. And she was running the Rockwell over there and she was like, dude, I'm doing this fucking show. You got to be a part of it. And I was kind of like, eh, because these kinds of things in New York are a dime a dozen and they're not very good. Exactly. I had no idea the Rockwell was what it was. And when she told me like Sarah Hyland was involved and that you yeah. were signed 
signed like I was like oh this is like a legit thing okay and I didn't really know what I was signing up for but I will tell you the Rockwell was 90% of the traction that I got in this town because people come to fucking see those shows yeah and incidentally it's what started this whole sort of like um well, next wave surge for me we're, yeah yeah I want to get into that bit your manager based out of New York or here? My manager's here. How did you find your manager? Um, we've actually known each other for a bajillion years from like my hairspray days. And he was He's been waiting for working you to come in, out. He's yeah. Like, come yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So so it just sort of worked out that way. And we had this great sort of energy where like he is really good at selling me. He knows what to do. So like he would well, get you're me specific into rooms. Also. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But he would get me into rooms that like I was up for every single pilot season since I've been here I've yeah. been in the room for every major role I've so screen awesome. tested like six times can you give me I've his been, name number, I remember <laughs> when I saw you at that audition for oh, that yeah. uh, Angel show that yeah. and it was some show I can't remember um uh, what the name of it was but anyway it it was on for like half a season yeah but there was this sort of like bad angel that was that was like in the flesh and Carly's Jane Lynch or something Carly was up for it and they ended up yeah. giving him to Jane oh, Lynch oh yeah. it's uh, um, yeah it makes complete sense because when you were up for it I was like oh yeah absolutely this makes sense and even though Jane, Lynn got, Jane Lynch got it which was a completely different type right. But you're both character actors. But it was super it was crazy because he was able to get me in these rooms where yeah. most people I know with much bigger credits and I couldn't. So we had this great thing going, yeah. right? It Sounds was amazing. Like, and so it just, yeah, it just sort of went from there. You have a lot of kismet. A lot and of then, like fucking things happening around you, I know, Carly. I know, I know. Believe me, I know. So a year ago in August, so I had been I had been struggling out here because I was screen testing and screen testing. And screen, I mean, I was getting down to the wire on shit left and right, and it just wasn't going my way. And of course, you say to yourself, "Well, the you next know, one's got to right because if I'm if I'm not <laughs> if I'm not meant for this, I wouldn't be getting this far, right?" But then it's like eventually you're like, "But why can't I fucking book? Why can't I close? What is going on?" So I was bartending at Clifton's. Now I'd never bartended before in downtown LA. Yes, I, oh, never, I love that place. Well, I had never bartended before, but I thought I'd be really good at it. So I faked you're a like, resume. I know my way around a drink. Yeah, I'm like, I know. How to. So I faked my resume, and I knew the guy who was the GM at the time. Because by the way, let's give it a little description about Clifton's. Oh because yeah. Clifton's Where is was it? oh, it's downtown on Broadway. Yeah. It was open I think in the 30s. Okay, so it yes, it was open in the 30s and um it's it's insane. It's six stories. It has like six functioning bars. It's a it's, it's a cafeteria. It was an old what? cafeteria. It still is a cafeteria. It has a giant tree like in the middle of the thing that goes up through all the floors. It's really cool. It's novelty. You should definitely yeah. go. If you like it's a like Piccadilly. A yeah, yeah. Oh god. You yeah. love if you like a Piccadilly, love you it. love a Clifton's. I love but they they closed for like 10 years. Yeah, they closed Closed down and got new owners, and then the guy who bought it, he also runs like the Edison. So they're kind yeah, of turning yeah, it into yeah. like a, a. So it became like a cocktail, uh, like a full cocktail bar, but also like a nightclub turn and burn. So it was really stressful to work it because wow. you're making five, six step cocktails. But like with fucking yeah, like five the, like the guy from Bar Rescue would have a field day with. Oh, her. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah. insane. Yeah. So I I knew the GM and he and I I had been working at a catering company for a nightmare fucking woman and I will not get into that because it's a, a whole thing. But I had been working with her. But for, you can for no it's a safe place. It's for a safe space. place. No money and um and I had instantly met this guy who had managed for us a couple events for us and so I was like I got to get the fuck out of here. I'm working 
80 hours a week for $400 a week. I can't fucking pay my rent. I'm so stressed out. Like I can't, my hair's falling out. Like I got to get somewhere. And he was like, girl, come to Clifton's. And so at first I thought maybe I would do something like in the admin. Cause that's what I had been doing. No, he like put me on his, he was like, you know how to bartend, right? I was like, yes, uh, no. And so <laughs> I had never bartended before in my life. So people were coming up being like, can I get a Sazerac? And I was like, yeah, I was going to say, cause this is like, I was like, you really strike me as a rum and coat kind of a girl. If yeah. I'm being honest, this, is like a, this, this bar is like, I don't know how to make that for their mixology. Yes. It's oh, not, Jesus. No, it's not like, oh my God. It's not like a vodka soda no, kind no. of bar. Right. Right. It's like, no, no. You do like rye cocktail. Yeah. Oh my God. Side so I had and... to learn so fucking fast. So I was going what home. This? Flash. this was just last summer. You've got to be fucking kidding me right now. <laughs> especially, especially where your career is at, which we're going to get to. This was last summer. This was you're, last summer. You're broke bartending yeah. at Clifton's. Yeah. Okay. Learning what a Sazerac is. Yeah. I had like no what idea. What the fuck? So, you have people around you. <laughs> you have the angels. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you, There are things with believe you. Believe me. Yeah. Believe me. I know it. So I was working there and I was really, really fucking happy. I was like getting it. I was making a shit ton of money i would only work friday and saturday nights and i was making like 900 dollars. wow in cash in my pocket so i was like working two nights a week i was making good money i was like this is amazing and it would put me in the best headspace to go in an audition because i wasn't desperate right you were i didn't scared, have to have it right? and i didn't give a shit i mean i wanted it don't get me wrong when i say like oh hollywood isn't real i want in like i want it in i always want obviously in. yeah but you understood the gravity yes. of absolutely. life and absolutely. it wasn't as important and so um, so I, I got this audition for this show called The Guest Book. It was Greg Garcia's new show. And the breakdown actually called for a black or Latino girl. And all I'd been hearing lately is how everything, like, I would get down to the wire and they'd be like, they're going ethnic. They're going ethnic. And I'm not trying to be this girl right now, but let me tell you, it's been tough. I mean, hashtag too soon, hashtag first world problems. But it's been tough for white women and Absolutely. white men in Hollywood right no, now. No, no you're right. Because well, everything ethnic no, you're is right. very hot. Thank God for me. But listen. Yeah. Just explain to everyone who Greg Garcia is. So Greg Garcia yeah. created uh, My Name is Earl and Raising Hope, The Millers, which is short-lived, which I thought was fantastic. The man's Endless. a genius also, when it comes. Also, Yes, Dear, back in the 90s, oh, if you recall. Yes, that, yes. That it ran for a very long time. So it called for a black or Latino girl, and I was like, oh, there's no fucking way. But I was like, you know what? I'll go in for it. Well, you know, I'll just leave my, my, my shit on the floor, and we'll see what happens. So I went in, then I got a call back. I went in the next day. They worked with me. And At your they... call back, is there nothing but black and Latina girls? Yes. I was the only white girl there. Hilarious. And so the next day I went in, and Greg was wonderful. He's, he's wonderfully um, normal. Just sort of like, you yeah. couldn't pick him out of a lineup. He's the guy that like, if you were like, oh, he's a, he's a mogul, he's a whatever, and you saw a bunch of guys in suits, and then you saw a guy shining someone's shoes, that would be Greg. Right, right, right. He right. would get up, and you'd be like, that's the millionaire. Like, he's just... <laughs> He's such a he's such a fucking rad guy. So um so so um long story short, so I went in for it and then I found out I was going to test for network and I was like, here we fucking go again. And what network are we at? Uh this is TBS. TBS. Which is pulling out some shit, let me tell you, Insane. this season. They're Insane. doing some shows. Well, well hello. That's the guest book yeah. coming out in August. <laughs> so, what's yeah. the date? What's uh, the date? August 3rd. Thank August, August 3rd, 3rd, 2017. We'll play Thursday nights at 10 p.m. on TBS. Um, so, I went into network test. I was so nervous. And it was between me and uh, and this black girl. And I was like, fuck. And she had a bunch of credits. She done a bunch of Tyler Perry stuff. And I was like, well, here's what it is. Like <laughs> Too close to home by too chance? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. Which one was it? Um, 
And so I was like, well, it's going to be what it's going to be. And then the very next day, so I went in, I left my, sh- my heart on the floor in this audition. And the material was so, it was one of those shows where you say to yourself, even if I don't get this, I'll watch it. Yeah. Do you coach at all before? I or- don't. So it's sort of like, because. Uh, I mean, I'll run it with friends and stuff that I trust. Actor no, but like, because I'm stuff. an actor that needs a good coaching. Right. Unless it's like unless it's comedic or but here's whatever. The thing. I don't think I don't think it's a matter of some people need it and some people don't. I sur- I'm sure I could fucking use it. I just don't No, But see, I the difference is, is that you're probably thing. a really good auditioner. Um, yes and no. I, I think mean, it's the theater thing, too. When you've yeah. been through 10 auditions for Tracy Turnblatt, at some point, you've got to be like, oh, shit, you better know how to audition, Here's girl. the thing. Because of you the know? process that theater teaches you, when I come into audition, I'm showing you exactly what I do with the role, right? There is no, like, you know what I mean? Like, I've done the work. I know who this person is going to be for me, and this is either what you're going to buy or you're not. Yeah, so, and you can give me an adjustment, and we'll see where I take yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, absolutely. I am who I am. My comedy yeah. is who I this am. This is what I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is this is this show? Uh, is it a one hour? Uh, no, it's a half hour. Half hour. There's some half hour. Yeah. Great Multicam. people. Yeah. So Lauren Lapkus so, is on this show. Yeah. So we. Um, so I found out the following week or the following day after the um, after the network test that I booked it, and Greg Garcia called me himself. It was <sighs> oh really sweet. He did. What did he say? He. So I was waiting that day to hear, and I was like, I was freaking out because, and I was texting my manager, and I was like. I don't know if I can fucking go through this again. I don't know if I can do this again. Like, this is my seventh yeah. network test, you know, whatever. And he's like, girl, let's just stay positive. Let's just see what happens. And I was like, okay. And then, um, so about one o'clock in the afternoon, my manager texts me and says, hey, I forget. Do you work tonight or tomorrow night? It was a Thursday. And I was like, tomorrow night, why? And he didn't answer. And I thought, okay, well, that's weird because... I knew that if anything ever happened, we'd been together at this point for three years. If anything ever happened, I knew he would come over to my house, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's weird. But I was like, you know what? You can't. Ooh, you can't be thinking about that right now. You just put that phone down. So I was sitting there. You're going to have to make a sidecar tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Cataract. I'm going to have to like just go back to my flashcards. Mango yeah. margarita. Yeah. Oh God. Um, the first time somebody asked me, side note, for a daiquiri, I told them we don't have a we don't have a blender. <laughs> and they were like, no, bitch, like a classic daiquiri, like rum and simple and lime juice. And I was like. I know. Uh, I just wanted you to know that I can't make it frozen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in the back Google, of your five to ten minutes. I also, when people would ask me for things, I would tell them that we didn't have that if I didn't know what it was. And they'd be like, it's right on the shelf behind you. I'm like, oh, my God, we just got that in. Um, that must have just come in. Hilarious. They'd be like, do you have monkey shoulder? And I'd be like, oh, we don't have that. And they're like, no, it's right there. And I was like, oh, <laughs> barbacks. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Also, I'm like, which one are you pointing at? <laughs> um, with the monkey on it? Yeah. <laughs> so um, so it's like 1 o'clock. So at 1.08, I'm, staring, I'm just sitting on the edge of my bed, like thinking like a crazy person, staring at the TV. Friends was on. And my phone rings, and I look down, and... Uh, it's a long story short, but I had talked to Greg on the phone the day before, the day of my screen test, because there was this whole other thing. So this, the whole other part of it is that because the show is kind of risque, um, I had to sign a nudity clause. Now, I was never nude. It was never anything like that. But because there's sexual um, insinuating sex and simulating sex, like I had to fake give a hand job. Of course, it's Greg Garcia. So anyways... I had this long conversation with him before I signed it because uh, he wanted you to feel he wanted comfy. me to feel comfortable he about it. Talk- he did on the phone. Didn't even block nice. his phone number. Like called me from his cell phone. Like this is Greg. Do you want to give it out right now? And uh, yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> and uh, and we basically had this conversation. I said, "Listen, here's my thing. It's not so much about the nudity as it is like I." I'm very comfortable in my skin and I'm my wardrobe is my issue. I want to make jokes. I don't want to be a joke. 
That's yes. that's the yes. difference, so right? Well put. And I said I will take risks and I will I will do things that most girls won't, but I won't do anything that I know doesn't look good that I wouldn't work. Like I'm not gonna be in Daisy right. Dukes in a tube top with things hanging out that shouldn't be. I was right. raced right. You put lycra on your legs. Like I, th- there's just certain yeah. things you won't do. So he was like, look, this is how I see her. I think she's because she owns a strip club. That's her thing, right? She's cool. like, so is she abroad? Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's insane. She's tough. She I play the villain. It's she's like the villain of the show. Oh, so so excited for the show. So the whole thing, you know, was I, I, he was like, I see her as being strong and sexy, and he was like, Carly, you will have final say, and like all this stuff. I mean, he gave me carte blanche over things that he. So, anyways. I had his phone number in my phone. So I'm sitting there and my phone rings and I look down and it says Greg Garcia. And you're like, this could go one of two ways And right I now. did. I was like, either, okay, either A of all, it's a butt dial, right? It's just a fucking mistake. <laughs> I was like, or he's calling to be like, you did such a good job yesterday. And I'll think about you for and something in I the I would love future. to write something for you. All this bullshit I've heard in the past. Or this is the phone call that's going to change my life forever. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I guess I should answer it. And so <laughs> I picked up the phone and I was like, hello. And he's like, hey, Carly, it's Greg. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> remember when i saved your number oh wait i'm not stalking you anyway like, also, what do you want what and uh he was like yeah so listen uh, i just wanted to call you and let you know that you got the role and i when i tell you that i fell out like i fell out i started screaming into the phone i told him to go fuck himself i was like go fuck yourself are you fucking kidding me right now we're, we're soulmates <laughs> i know exactly i told you you would love this her exactly i told you <laughs> it's like are you i was like do not fuck with me greg don't fuck with me dude and he was like i'm not fucking with you she's yours and i just started crying and it was i mean he was amazing so then we went into work, so we filmed all last fall. We had the most amazing guest stars on our show. I mean, I there's huge I, people. What on number are you on the call sheet? What number are you on the call sheet? Three. Okay, girl. Okay, say it. Yeah, three. Just one and two. Uh, Charlie Robinson is number one, Yay. and Aloma Wright was number two. Well, of course. You can't. You can't. Sorry. Um, one day, though. Yeah. Who is on the show to help you so, tell the people? So it's an anthology. Se- this season is an anthology season. So it's really cool. There's there's three um, series regulars. Myself, actually, it's uh, Loma wasn't technically a series regular, which is weird. But that's anyways, whatever. But she's probably a big, contractual. Um, fine with me. Not a problem. She is so much fun to veer on. Yeah. She taught me so much about SAG and pensions and stuff. Well, that's why she she's literally. I was sitting there being like, and she was like, "Girl, get yourself a pet. Get in that SAG. Get up. Make sure you follow your." dues that it's worth it she was like i get my check every month i was like oh yeah. sure so um so there's three series regulars is myself a guy named lou wilson and charlie robinson and we're like the townspeople my character runs a strip club and i have a stepson who it we're like anomalies and eight like he's 25 but we never say how old i am like i could be 40 i could be 14 no one knows <laughs> and um and so uh He's like my little minion. I play the the villain and he like does all my my bidding for me. And then Charlie, so it play it takes place at a cabin rental. And uh, Charlie runs the cabin rental with his wife, alone, played by Loma Wright. And every week we have new guest stars that come in and they stay at the cabin where all these crazy things ensue and they write their stories in the guest book. So like Lauren Lapkus did an episode. Um, Soccer Channing did an episode. Oh, Jamie wow. Presley did an episode. Um, Jamie. Uh, Kate Micucci came in with Michael Rappaport. Um Oh my God, Michaela Watkins oh, came and did an episode. So funny. I mean, just, just on. Un- I love a series. Cheryl that- Underwood? No. <laughs> there are, I love a series that's one offs like that. But yeah. that there are people, like, I, I'm a big fan of um, High Maintenance on HBO yeah. because I love that right. he's the, the only 
thing that you the through line yes. but that each episode is like a different story yeah and that's sort of what's really fun about it like we we are the constant so my character um where do you shoot we shot it in Santa Clarita and then we shot on location up in Pine Mountain which is like a mountain town north of Santa Clarita cool and uh so we shot it all here in California and so my character is the villain and the way that she makes her money is she brings men into her VIP room also known as the storage closet it's just like a recliner in a storage closet yes and she videotapes it and so she blackmails people <gasps> to try and and get money she just wants to get out of the town oh Tommy Dewey I got to like have a, a like a, um, a whole love arc thing with Tommy Dewey when episode and he's as dreamy as it gets he's on casual if you watch the show oh yeah he is just dreamy mcdreamy and so sweet we got to make out and the whole time i was like trying to be really professional about it but i, I tried to You're shove like- my tongue in his mouth like 47 <laughs> times like literally i was Carly. like i'm super method also i'll put my tongue in your asshole like, i was no joke like just gonna make ev- i was like i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get it well i can't i'm just gonna do it because i um, and i'm getting paid for this because i what, don't care um so you shot a full season already? Yep, we shot 10 episodes. We got ordered straight to series. So we shot 10 episodes, and so it airs, again, premieres August 3rd. I'm, August yes. 3rd, TBS, Don't Miss It, The Guest Book. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then, because I know you have to go soon. Yes. So, and the, oh, oh, yeah, sure. So then tell me about your other huge job. So then I was, I'm curious how you're allowed to do this job. Yeah, so, okay, right. So I'm under contract, but I'm allowed to do guest starring stuff. So the way that they sort of got around with it with Amazon, it's weird with streaming stuff, too. Like, networks and streaming aren't necessarily in competition. It's like right. a whole new right. weird world. So you're sort of allowed. It's, it's, there's, there's sort of a gray area yeah. there. A little bit of a, a, a little bit more leeway than normal. But so this came about for One Mississippi, which if you haven't seen season one, it's just fucking worth it. I'm not on season one, but you have to go. It's Tig Notaro's show. Louis C.K. executive produces. Uh, Diablo Cody created it. Um, it's it's so fucking good. It's dark comedy. It's real. And for those who don't know a lot about Tig, like her whole story was she got diagnosed with cancer. I believe she had a double mastectomy. She got diagnosed with C. diff, which is like a debilitating um a digestional disease and then her mom died mm-hmm. and it was like this crazy thing and so this the show is loosely based it's a it's a biography about her life but it's there's fictional stuff in there um and so it is one of the smartest and most truthful the tellings of death that I've ever seen in my wow. life because death is really weird and funny and gross and not necessarily beautiful and like and, and strange things happen and so it is a dark comedy <clears throat> excuse me so when season two came about and this role came out it was for they only do six uh, episodes a season and when season when the call for season two came out and they were looking for this reoccurring role to play the love interest of Noah Harpster's character Remy who plays Tig's brother it was for five out of the six episodes and it was a huge storyline mm-hmm. and it was this crazier she's the southern gal she's super Christian she's got a nine month old baby and I mean it's hilarious and she's just super unfiltered and says the most insane things and she just knows what she knows and she'll make comments about you know homosexuality and she's like i just don't know about that life i just i just don't know god did not make those parts together but you know what bless their cotton socks you know like she's just kind of that she's that southern girl who's like you know what it's not for me but you know what live your life right like live your life in hell but like that's fine for you (laughs) 
Um, that's just sort of how she. Just has, get me a Mary Kay lipstick. You know what I'm saying? Like, still like I'll go get my hair done by yeah, them. Yeah. You know what I mean? All day long. But like, I don't know. They're going to hell. So and it's precious. Wow. And so it was really fun to kind of play this character and find a way to try and make her redeeming. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's such an unredeemable things that will come out of her mouth. But to try and find a way to make her lovable. So we filmed that this summer. I was incredibly, incredibly grateful for this to come about. It felt so full circle for me because of how deeply her story and the way she talked about her mom's death and the way that her mom died and how yeah. she was there in that moment just felt really... And you must have bonded over... Oh, my God. We yeah. certainly did. We certainly did. We talked so about that. It was such an incredible experience wow. for me to be able to work on something that like meant that much to me. What? That when is, is that awesome. So that comes out, I believe, September 8th or 9th. I'm not sure exactly it's yet, a very, it's Amazon. It's a very big fall for Carly Gibson, everyone. Listen, we got, <laughs> we got her first before she goes all the, Before she this does the GMA official, and all that shit. This is my official first like, yeah. interview interview, yeah. Listen, Here. Carly... I got to direct her a couple weeks ago. And no one cares about you, Christine. Quit you know, making it about you. It's all about me. <laughs> you got a Jesus baby. Jesus Christ. You got a Enough. Nut. Fine. You went from <laughs> teenage Broadway star to drug addict. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to an ill mother who passed away to now going to be a huge television star. Don't forget Sazerac. Oh yeah, <laughs> bartender Sorry. for Clifton's. By the way, by the way, I want I want to go to Clifton's with you. Yes, well, totally I want to go. go to Clifton's. Yeah, I want to take Christine for the yeah, first we'll time go. to Clifton's. Let's do okay. it. Yeah, let's do it. I, w- I need we're we're going to Clifton's because that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah, to singing her tits off and scream. Right to doing scream with my stupid ass. To now you're doing these huge shows, which I think are going to be huge hits. I mean. You have to come back after the fact because I have a feeling there's going to be so much more with you. You're the worst guest we've ever had. The worst. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, we've had Emmy nominees. We've had Tony nominees. We haven't had a we haven't had a uh, no we don't have we have no winners but I think with Carly we have no winners but I think with you with Carly we have a shot there's a shot there's a shot if you win you have to come back okay okay deal it's a promise Carly tell the people where they can find you um. Any street corner, um, pretty much. Uh, No. Um, So all of my social media is just at Carly Gibson, C-A-R-L-Y-J-I-B-S-O-N. Not to be confused with Carly Rae Gibson. I get it. We're both super tall and thin and dark haired. Uh, and you could, could both not sing. Be, we could not be One is any a more similar. Maybe does, the other. Is that the call me maybe girl? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead. And that's all I have to say about that. that. Um, yeah, so um, that's where you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And I listen, let me tell you this, though. I'm going to fucking disclaim this shit right now. Don't come for me if I say something on my fucking social media that you don't like. I'm really outspoken. Good. I have opinions about things. I'm incredibly, incredibly politically charged. So... I love the the following is is lovely and the support is is so I'm grateful for it. But do not fucking come for no, me. No, and you're a good do Republican. You are a good Republican. Me. I am just a good old fashioned conservative <laughs> Republican girl. No, <laughs> uh, uh, Carly, I'm you kidding. Are... By the way, she's very left. <laughs> the bitch is left. Yeah, if you're not into that, you may you may not want to hear the rant. Uh, Carly, we're so thankful. Thank you for coming and Thanks being on the show. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you and I can't I couldn't be more happy for you because you're just so talented and you're such a sweet person and I always you're so good and I always knew that 
All right, Christine, you talk too much. Say goodbye. Jesus. If you want to find us on social media, you can find me at Yo Lakin. Or at me, Alec. At me, Alec. Oh, my uh, God. The bourbon. Alec Led. Alec Led. (laughs) Thank you as well to Stephen Ray Morris. Where can we find you, Stephen? Whoa. I also had it too, at uh, Stephen Ray Morris. Yeah, see? If you want to tweet us or talk about this episode, definitely email us at worsteverpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll hear you next week. Bye. Bye, y'all. Thank you.